Chapter Two of The Stones of Venice, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in October two thousand eleven. The Stones of Venice, Volume One by John Ruskin. Chapter Two: The Virtues of Architecture paragraph one we address ourselves then first to the task of determining some law of right which we may apply to the architecture of all the world and of all time and by help of which and judgment according to which we may easily pronounce whether a building is good or noble as by applying a plumb line whether it be perpendicular the first question will of course be what are the possible virtues of architecture in the main we require from buildings as from men two kinds of goodness first the doing their practical duty well then that they be graceful and pleasing in doing it which last is itself another form of duty then the practical duty divides itself into two branches acting and talking acting as to defend us from weather or violence talking as the duty of monuments or tombs to record facts and express feelings or of churches temples public edifices treated as books of history to tell such history clearly and forcibly we have thus altogether three great branches of architectural virtue and we require of any building one that it act well and do the things it was intended to do in the best way two that it speak well and say the things it was intended to say in the best words three that it look well and please us by its presence whatever it has to do or say paragraph two now as regards the second of these virtues it is evident that we can establish no general laws first because it is not a virtue required in all buildings there are some which are only for covert or defence and from which we ask no conversation secondly because there are countless methods of expression some conventional some natural each conventional mode has its own alphabet which evidently can be no subject of general laws every natural mode is instinctively employed and instinctively understood wherever there is true feeling and this instinct is above law the choice of conventional methods depends on circumstances out of calculation and that of natural methods on sensations out of control so that we can only say that the choice is right when we feel that the means are effective and we cannot always say that it is wrong when they are not so a building which recorded the bible history by means of a series of sculptural pictures would be perfectly useless to a person unacquainted with the bible beforehand on the other hand the text of the old and new testaments might be written on its walls and yet the building be a very inconvenient kind of book not so useful as if it had been adorned with intelligible and vivid sculpture so again the power of exciting emotion must vary or vanish as the spectator becomes thoughtless or cold and the building may be often blamed for what is the fault of its critic 
or endowed with a charm which is of its spectator's creation it is not therefore possible to make expressional character any fair criterion of excellence in buildings until we can fully place ourselves in the position of those to whom their expression was originally addressed and until we are certain that we understand every symbol and are capable of being touched by every association which its builders employed as letters of their language i shall continually endeavour to put the reader into such sympathetic temper when i ask for his judgment of a building and in every work i may bring before him i shall point out as far as i am able whatever is peculiar in its expression nay i must even depend on such peculiarities for much of my best evidence respecting the character of the builders but i cannot legalize the judgment for which i plead nor insist upon it if it be refused i can neither force the reader to feel this architectural rhetoric nor compel him to confess that the rhetoric is powerful if it have produced no impression on his own mind paragraph three i leave therefore the expression of buildings for incidental notice only but their other two virtues are proper subjects of law their performance of their common and necessary work and their conformity with universal and divine canons of loveliness respecting these there can be no doubt no ambiguity i would have the reader discern them so quickly that as he passes along a street he may by a glance of the eye distinguish the noble from the ignoble work he can do this if he permit free play to his natural instincts and all that i have to do for him is to remove from those instincts the artificial restraints which prevent their action and to encourage them to an unaffected and unbiased choice between right and wrong paragraph four we have then two qualities of buildings for subjects of separate inquiry their action and aspect and the sources of virtue in both that is to say strength and beauty both of these being less admired in themselves than as testifying the intelligence or imagination of the builder for we have a worthier way of looking at human than at divine architecture much of the value both of construction and decoration in the edifices of men depends upon our being led by the thing produced or adorned to some contemplation of the powers of mind concerned in its creation or adornment we are not so led by divine work but are content to rest in the contemplation of the thing created i wish the reader to note this especially we take pleasure or should take pleasure in architectural construction altogether as the manifestation of an admirable human intelligence it is not the strength not the size not the finish of the work which we are to venerate rocks are always stronger mountains always larger all natural objects more finished but it is the intelligence and resolution of man in overcoming physical difficulty which are to be the source of our pleasure and subject of our praise and again in decoration or beauty it is less the actual loveliness of the thing produced than the choice and invention concerned in the production which are to delight us the love and the thoughts of the workman more than his work 
his work must always be imperfect but his thoughts and affections may be true and deep paragraph five this origin of our pleasure in architecture i must insist upon at somewhat greater length for i would fain do away with some of the ungrateful coldness which we show towards the good builders of old time in no art is there closer connection between our delight in the work and our admiration of the workman's mind than in architecture and yet we rarely ask for a builder's name the patron at whose cost the monk through whose dreaming the foundation was laid we remember occasionally never the man who verily did the work did the reader ever hear of william of sens as having had anything to do with canterbury cathedral or of pietro baseggio as in any wise connected with the ducal palace of venice there is much ingratitude and injustice in this and therefore i desire my reader to observe carefully how much of his pleasure in building is derived or should be derived from admiration of the intellect of men whose names he knows not paragraph six the two virtues of architecture which we can justly weigh are we said its strength or good construction and its beauty or good decoration consider first therefore what you mean when you say a building is well constructed or well built you do not merely mean that it answers its purpose this is much and many modern buildings fail of this much but if it be verily well built it must answer this purpose in the simplest way and with no over expenditure of means we require of a lighthouse for instance that it shall stand firm and carry a light if it do not this assuredly it has been ill-built but it may do it to the end of time and yet not be well built it may have hundreds of tons of stone in it more than were needed and have cost thousands of pounds more than it ought to pronounce it well or ill-built we must know the utmost forces it can have to resist and the best arrangements of stone for encountering them and the quickest ways of effecting such arrangements then only so far as such arrangements have been chosen and such methods used is it well built then the knowledge of all difficulties to be met and of all means of meeting them and the quick and true fancy or invention of the modes of applying these means to the end are what we have to admire in the builder even as he is seen through his first or inferior part of his work mental power observe not muscular nor mechanical nor technical nor empirical pure precious majestic massy intellect not to be had at vulgar price nor received without thanks and without asking from whom paragraph seven suppose for instance we are present at the building of a bridge the bricklayers or masons have had their centering erected for them and that centering was put together by a carpenter who had the line of its curve traced for him by the architect the masons are dexterously handling and fitting their bricks or by the help of machinery carefully adjusting stones which are numbered for their places there is probably in their quickness of eye and readiness of hand something admirable but this is not what i ask the reader to admire 
not the carpentering nor the bricklaying nor anything that he can presently see and understand but the choice of the curve and the shaping of the numbered stones and the appointment of that number there were many things to be known and thought upon before these were decided the man who chose the curve and numbered the stones had to know the times and tides of the river and the strength of its floods and the height and flow of them and the soil of the banks and the endurance of it and the weight of the stones he had to build with and the kind of traffic that day by day would be carried on over his bridge all this specially and all the great general laws of force and weight and their working and in the choice of the curve and numbering of stones are expressed not only his knowledge of these but such ingenuity and firmness as he had in applying special means to overcome the special difficulties about his bridge there is no saying how much wit how much depth of thought how much fancy presence of mind courage and fixed resolution there may have gone to the placing of a single stone of it this is what we have to admire this grand power and heart of man in the thing not his technical or empirical way of holding the trowel and laying mortar paragraph eight now there is in everything properly called art this concernment of the intellect even in the province of the art which seems merely practical for observe in this bridge building i suppose no reference to architectural principles all that i suppose we want is to get safely over the river the man who has taken us over is still a mere bridge builder a builder not an architect he may be a rough artless feelingless man incapable of doing any one truly fine thing all his days i shall call upon you to despise him presently in a sort but not as if he were a mere smoother of mortar perhaps a great man infinite in memory indefatigable in labour exhaustless in expedient unsurpassable in quickness of thought take good heed you understand him before you despise him paragraph nine but why is he to be in any wise despised by no means despise him unless he happen to be without a soul or at least to show no signs of it which possibly he may not in merely carrying you across the river he may be merely what mr carlyle rightly calls a human beaver after all and there may be nothing in all that ingenuity of his greater than a complication of animal faculties an intricate bestiality nest or hive building in its highest development you need something more than this or the man is despicable you need that virtue of building through which he may show his affections and delights you need its beauty or decoration paragraph ten not that in reality one division of the man is more human than another theologists fall into this error very fatally and continually and a man from whom i have learned much lord lindsay has hurt his noble book by it speaking as if the spirit of the man only were immortal and were opposed to his intellect and the latter to the senses whereas all the divisions of humanity are noble or brutal immortal or mortal according to the degree of their sanctification 
and there is no part of the man which is not immortal and divine when it is once given to god and no part of him which is not mortal by the second death and brutal before the first when it is withdrawn from god for to what shall we trust for our distinction from the beasts that perish to our higher intellect yet are we not bidden to be wise as the serpent and to consider the ways of the ant or to our affections nay these are more shared by the lower animals than our intelligence hamlet leaps into the grave of his beloved and leaves it a dog had stayed humanity and immortality consist neither in reason nor in love not in the body nor in the animation of the heart of it nor in the thoughts and stirrings of the brain of it but in the dedication of them all to him who will raise them up at the last day paragraph eleven it is not therefore that the signs of his affections which man leaves upon his work are indeed more ennobling than the signs of his intelligence but it is the balance of both whose expression we need and the signs of the government of them all by conscience and discretion the daughter of conscience so then the intelligent part of man being eminently if not chiefly displayed in the structure of his work his affectionate part is to be shown in its decoration and that decoration may be indeed lovely two things are needed first that the affections be vivid and honestly shown secondly that they be fixed on the right things paragraph twelve you think perhaps i have put the requirements in wrong order logically i have practically i have not for it is necessary first to teach men to speak out and say what they like truly and in the second place to teach them which of their likings are ill set and which justly if a man is cold in his likings and dislikings or if he will not tell you what he likes you can make nothing of him only get him to feel quickly and to speak plainly and you may set him right and the fact is that the great evil of all recent architectural effort has not been that men liked wrong things but that they either cared nothing about any or pretended to like what they did not do you suppose that any modern architect likes what he builds or enjoys it not in the least he builds it because he has been told that such and such things are fine and that he should like them he pretends to like them and gives them a false relish of vanity do you seriously imagine reader that any living soul in london likes triglyphs footnote triglyph literally three cut the awkward upright ornament with two notches in it and a cut at each side to be seen everywhere at the tops of doric colonnades ancient and modern End footnote or gets any hearty enjoyment out of pediments footnote pediment the triangular space above greek porticos as on the mansion house or royal exchange End footnote. you are much mistaken greeks did english people never did never will 
do you fancy that the architect of old burlington mews in regent street had any particular satisfaction in putting the blank triangle over the archway instead of a useful garret window by no manner of means he had been told it was right to do so and thought he should be admired for doing it very few faults of architecture are mistakes of honest choice they are almost always hypocrisies paragraph thirteen so then the first thing we have to ask of the decoration is that it should indicate strong liking and that honestly it matters not so much what the thing is as that the builder should really love it and enjoy it and say so plainly the architect of bourges cathedral liked hawthorns so he has covered his porch with hawthorn it is a perfect niobe of may never was such hawthorn you would try to gather it forthwith but for fear of being pricked the old lombard architects liked hunting so they covered their works with horses and hounds and men blowing trumpets two yards long the base renaissance architects of venice liked masking and fiddling so they covered their work with comic masks and musical instruments even that was better than our english way of liking nothing and professing to like triglyphs paragraph fourteen but the second requirement in decoration is a sign of our liking the right thing and the right thing to be liked is god's work which he made for our delight and contentment in this world and all noble ornamentation is the expression of man's delight in god's work paragraph fifteen so then these are the two virtues of building first the signs of man's own good work secondly the expression of man's delight in better work than his own and these are the two virtues of which i desire my reader to be able quickly to judge at least in some measure to have a definite opinion up to a certain point beyond a certain point he cannot form one when the science of the building is great great science is of course required to comprehend it and therefore of difficult bridges and lighthouses and harbour walls and river dikes and railway tunnels no judgment may be rapidly formed but of common buildings built in common circumstances it is very possible for every man or woman or child to form judgment both rational and rapid their necessary or even possible features are but few the laws of their construction are as simple as they are interesting the labor of a few hours is enough to render the reader master of their main points and from that moment he will find in himself a power of judgment which can neither be escaped nor deceived and discover subjects of interest where everything before had appeared barren for though the laws are few and simple the modes of obedience of them are not so every building presents its own requirements and difficulties and every good building has peculiar appliances or contrivances to meet them understand the laws of structure and you will feel the special difficulty in every new building which you approach and you will know also or feel instinctively whether it has been wisely met or otherwise and an enormous number of buildings and of styles of buildings you will be able to cast aside at once as at variance with these constant laws of structure 
and therefore unnatural and monstrous. Paragraph 16. Then, as regards decoration, I want you only to consult your own natural choice and liking. There is a right and wrong in it, but you will assuredly like the right if you suffer your natural instinct to lead you. Half the evil in this world comes from people not knowing what they do like, not deliberately setting themselves to find out what they really enjoy. All people enjoy giving away money, for instance. They don't know that. They rather think they like keeping it, and they do keep it under this false impression, often to their great discomfort. Everybody likes to do good, but not one in a hundred finds this out. Multitudes think they like to do evil, yet no man ever really enjoyed doing evil since God made the world. So in this lesser matter of ornament. It needs some little care to try experiments upon yourself. It needs deliberate question and upright answer. But there is no difficulty to be overcome, no abstruse reasoning to be gone into, only a little watchfulness needed, and thoughtfulness, and so much honesty as will enable you to confess to yourself and to all men that you enjoy things, though great authorities say you should not. Paragraph 17 This looks somewhat like pride, but it is true humility, a trust that you have been so created as to enjoy what is fitting for you, and a willingness to be pleased as it was intended you should be. It is the child's spirit which we are then most happy when we most recover, only wiser than children in that we are ready to think it subject of thankfulness that we can still be pleased with a fair color or a dancing light. And, above all, do not try to make all these pleasures reasonable, nor to connect the delight which you take in ornament with that which you take in construction or usefulness. They have no connection, and every effort that you make to reason from one to the other will blunt your sense of beauty, or confuse it with sensations altogether inferior to it. You were made for enjoyment, and the world was filled with things which you will enjoy, unless you are too proud to be pleased by them, or too grasping to care for what you cannot turn to other account than mere delight. Remember that the most beautiful things in the world are the most useless, peacocks and lilies, for instance. At least I suppose this quill I hold in my hand writes better than the peacocks would, and the peasants of Vevey, whose fields in springtime are as white with lilies as the dent du midi is with snow, told me the hay was none the better for them. Paragraph 18 Our task, therefore, divides itself into two branches, and these I shall follow in succession. I shall first consider the construction of buildings, dividing them into their really necessary members or features, and I shall endeavour so to lead the reader forward from the foundation upwards, as that he may find out for himself the best way of doing everything, and, having so discovered it, never forget it. I shall give him stones and bricks and straw, chisels and trowels, and the ground, and then ask him to build, only helping him, as I can, if I find him puzzled. And when he has built his house or church, I shall ask him to ornament it, and leave it to him to choose the ornaments, as I did to find out the construction, 
I shall use no influence with him whatever, except to counteract previous prejudices, and leave him, as far as may be, free. And when he has thus found out how to build, and chosen his forms of decoration, I shall do what I can to confirm his confidence in what he has done. I shall assure him that no one in the world could, so far, have done better, and require him to condemn, as futile or fallacious, whatever has no resemblance to his own performances. End of chapter 2